All right, here we go. Episode two of the Your Health Podcast, or It's Your Health Podcast. Uh, it is a cold Sunday afternoon here in Forward, Texas. My name is Chris, and uh, as before, we have with me uh, my father, Dr. Barry Bass. Uh, in our first episode, we kind of skimmed the surface <laughs> on a lot of different topics. Uh, one of those being, you know, how do we t- obtain general health? Uh, another being, um, you know, how you go about navigating the medical system once you're in there. So after doing uh, some discussion and some kind of brainstorming, we felt that the context, or at least the content of this episode will be around uh, obtaining general health and some uh, things that you can do on a daily basis to start your journey of obtaining uh, some high quality health or some general health. But before we get started, we wanted to provide you guys with the general disclaimer that this podcast is for general information purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice and no doctor-patient relationship is therefore formed. The use of information on this podcast or materials linked from this podcast is at the owner's or the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice for any medical condition they may have and should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions. So without further ado, let's get started. Um, so as we, we quickly just recapped what we talked about last episode. So I wanted to start this one by having, uh, my, by having a quick overview of, of my dad's uh, professional history. Uh, and you can certainly touch on it if you want, or I can I can read it off the computer, um, but kind of provide his background uh, as a surgeon. Um, he got his undergraduate uh, from the University of Missouri in Columbia, uh, and then proceeded to get his doctorate from there as well. Proceeded to uh, conduct his surgical internship uh, at the University of Missouri in Kansas City School of Medicine and Affiliated Hospitals, um, doing another internship as well was also a chief resident of general surgery at the University of Missouri uh, Truman Medical Center, and then went on into private practice uh, in Kansas City and then Rolla and then here in Fort Worth, Texas. That sums it up. Yeah, it does. So uh, I want you to tell your heart attack story. I I know I have a a story in my mind of how I would tell it, but I want you to tell your story on kind of uh, the moments leading up to it. And kind of walking us through that day. Okay. I guess I would go back probably five or six years uh, prior to this time when a consultant I used to work with was doing some research on CAT scan evaluation of heart disease. And there were, she was doing a study in Phoenix, Arizona, and I became part of that study. And in that study, they looked at what's called calcium scoring of your, of your heart vessels. So I was involved in that study that gave me a certain number as a result. And basically nothing was done with that study, even though it showed that I had calcium, calcium in my coronary arteries. So after that, uh, probably three or four years later, uh, in November of 2017, on a uh, nice uh, fall uh, Saturday morning, uh, my wife was leaving for Kansas City to visit her relatives. And just after she left the house, I developed the sudden onset of severe chest pain, like somebody was running a sword right through the center of your chest. Didn't really get short of breath, but the pain was severe and it was intense, extremely intense. 
and it radiated from the front of my chest straight through to the back. And I knew what it was immediately. So I called my next door neighbor and she's a nurse anesthetist and she came over to help. She contacted Pat. Pat had turned around, came back, picked me up and we headed to the hospital. Uh, I knew exactly where I was gonna go and she took me to the hospital, parked in front of the ER and I was very, very lucky in that there was nobody in the ER. I mean, nobody, it was completely deserted. I walked in, I told the front desk person I'm having who I was and I'm having severe chest pain. They took me right back to the triage area, uh, evaluated me pretty rapidly and within 30 minutes, I was in the cath lab. And my cardiologist, Dr. Maida, uh, put in five stents and spent about two and a half hours fixing the uh, plumbing in my arteries of my heart. And the following day, I felt great. I felt wonderful. So uh, at that point, I entered uh, cardiac rehab, which was basically getting on a treadmill three times a week and then monitoring my EKG and everything was going fine. Uh, completed my uh, cardiac rehab and uh, was on a uh, statin medication to help lower my cholesterol and a couple other meds and was doing fine until March of 2018. And in March of 2018, I developed an aching pain in the middle of my back when I tried to lay down to go to sleep. And for four days, I could hardly sleep. I could sleep about mm, two and a half, maybe three hours a night. And after four days of that, I said, There's, something's not right. So went back to the emergency room. My cardiologist came in and saw me and said, we need to get some more pictures and we need to do a uh, angiogram of your heart to look at your arteries. So the following day, they took me back to the cath lab and he put in two more stents. One stent was inside one of the original stents that was, that was not working like it should. Um, ever since then, I felt fine. I've had no other symptoms. Uh, I'm on a uh, low red meat diet uh, and I'm on several medications. Uh, but what I've done different at this point in time is I've said, okay, so what's going on and what can we do to prevent another episode besides just taking this medicine? So I, I did some research and I found a colleague who'd been studying um, what's called lipidology or the science of fats and how our body processes cholesterol. And I uh, went to see him and I've been under his guidance ever since. Um, we follow up with uh, an extensive array of uh, blood test analysis, uh, followed by a cardiopulmonary stress test that we do about every six to eight months. And so far, so good. So that's, that's sort of how I walked through this story. I was very lucky, I was very fortunate. Uh, I had an advantage, I knew the hospital. I knew where the ER was. I knew the cardiologist and I, I knew those folks and, and they knew me and the system, uh, my whole process through the system was um, elevated to a, to, a, to a high degree and saved a lot of time. Otherwise, I would have had a serious, a serious heart attack or myocardial infarction. Uh, in my follow-up, uh, all my studies are coming back normal. 
my uh, ultrasounds of my heart and all that have turned up normal with no loss of any heart function at all. So very, very lucky. Um, once I went through this, naturally, when you go through some process, um, it gives you a new perspective and you start to look at heart disease, what causes heart disease, how did I get here, um, what could I have done six or seven years ago when I was involved in that study when I knew or I was told I had calcium in my heart, which is, as most people know, is not normal to have calcium in your heart. And it probably would have been uh, better for me if I'd have known what to do at that point uh, with that information. Do I change my diet? Do I start exercising more? Um, do we follow lab tests more frequently? Can we get on medications yes. sooner yes. to tackle the, the issue of calcium in the heart? Because you know, for some people it's, okay, well, calcium is kind of a, an element that's present in food, it's a, a present in diet and, and, and these things. And to have it in your heart is, is not ordinary. It's not normal. And there's a, too much of it in your heart. And that's, there was that analysis done on you. So you had too much or enough to say, these are some flags. These three things need to be done as a result of our findings, right? Exactly. When you have calcium in your, in your heart and the arteries of your heart, basically that's telling you that you've had some plaque formation in the arteries. Um, you probably have some narrowing in those arteries and you better pay attention to that. So now you're paying attention. So uh, yeah, now I pay a lot of attention. Um, done a lot of research on it, and uh, happy where I am right now. It's uh, but it, this is a huge problem. This is a huge problem. There are approximately 100 million people in the United States that have at least one, if not two, risk factors for heart disease. There are 150 million people in the United States that have some type of insulin resistance, which can be a precursor to heart disease. So this, this is a really prevalent problem. 50% um, of men and about 60% of women who develop heart disease, uh, their first symptoms are usually sudden death. That's a hard symptom to fix. When your first, when your first symptom is of your heart disease is you're going to die. So that's, that's pretty prevalent. So that's why, that's why what Chris and I have been talking about, uh, prevention, identification of a problem before it becomes a life-threatening serious problem is really important uh, with this disease. Mm -hmm. I was talking to somebody the other day as we were leaving the gym. Uh, here's the EnduraLab plug. I think this, there is a holistic ecosystem-like approach to health. Yes, there's the diet piece, but there's also the mental health piece and the relationships piece that I think are part of, of all of that. Sure, the diet and what you're putting into your body is a large contributing factor to this calcium buildup and uh, the destruction uh, or the slow destruction that you're doing to your body. But there's other things that I think contribute to the overall well-being of, of a patient or that's what eventually what you are becoming. Um, is the patient once you come into the system. So uh, it's being cognizant of those things, but more importantly, looking at your lifestyle uh, and looking at those things that uh, you're putting in your body on a daily basis. I mean, the, th the thing that comes into my mind is is the movie Wally. -E. Did you ever see Wally? -E? No, I haven't. So later on in the movie, they're, 
the the population or the human race has left the planet and are now living in outer space. And these overweight people are laying in these beds and are floating around in this little spaceship and they're interacting with touch screens and they can do everything laying down. You can order food much like we do today. You, you cannot move your ass off the couch and have a pizza delivered to your house. Like that's, that's what we're talking about here. Right. Um, it's a huge problem in this country because it's, this quick, not a quick fix, but this, it's also just this, the availability of everything at your fingertips. Uh, and it's created this lazy culture. Um, our country is so spread out that uh, people don't walk as much as you find in a lot of other countries. People certainly do in larger cities, but that's certainly changed with this pandemic. So it's, again, taking what preventative measures can we take to essentially take back control of, of our health and of our lifestyle and of our, of our life in general. I, th- I think one thing they could do, especially this month, Chris, would be when families get together, even though we're not supposed to be <laughs> getting together and still be social distancing, uh, one thing they need to do is say, hey, does, does anybody know what our family history is? Does anybody in our family, has anybody in our family ever had a heart attack? Have they ever had a stroke? Uh, is anybody diabetic? And if there's a family history of that, they really need to write that down. They really need to document that because that's one of the risk factors with with heart disease is family history. And my family history was very strong in that area. There's a strong family history of heart disease in my family history. So I think that's one thing they could look at. Um, Naturally, their diet and exercise, like we've talked about before, are important. They, if, if there's a, strong family history or if they have some predisposing factors, they need to go see their family doctor and they need to tell them, I'm here and I want your help to help me prevent a heart attack or a stroke. Um, one, one book that's out there that they, people might be interested in, and this is just a plug for Dr. Bale, it's called Beat the Heart Attack Gene. And it's a pretty extensive book that talks about heart disease and what's going on. and, and that's changed probably over the last 10 years. Everybody used to think that heart disease was a plumbing problem, that the artery gets narrowed down to the point where you don't have any flow and then the flow gets cut off and you have a heart attack. And that's only sort of a part of the problem. The major part of the problem is inflammation of the artery. Are your arteries, like we say, on fire? Are they inflamed? And what happens is when that plaque forms, there's still flow through the artery but then that plaque can crack. And when that plaque cracks and the body tries to repair it, it clots off the artery suddenly. And all of a sudden you have a sharp decline in blood flow to that segment of your heart leading to severe chest pain. So it's a combination of the two, inflammation and, and some narrowing of the coronary arteries. So, and there's multiple causes. I mean, you have things like genetic, genetic predisposition, um, sleep disorders, uh, diet, inflammatory diseases, lifestyle, um, diabetes, hypertension. All, all those things can be risk factors for developing heart disease. So people can go to their family doctor and say, you know, I'm concerned. I'm concerned. What, what can we do? What can I do? What tests do we need to do to determine if I'm at risk? That's the big factor. And now we have a lot more of pretty simple, straightforward tests that can give you some idea of your risk for having a heart attack, 
and or a stroke. 800,000 people a year in this country have a stroke. And the effects are, can be incredibly devastating. So they need to follow up with their family doctor and get them on board and say, let's go look at this. Let's figure this out. Am I at risk? And if I am at risk, what do I need to do? But then the second part of that that's really important is, then how do I know what I'm doing is working? How do we, how do we test and keep track of ourselves? Do we follow just cholesterol or this value or that value? Or do I do a stress test? Those are all factors that they can work with their family doctor to determine. And that, that comes into preventing the problem before the problem occurs. That is the key to heart disease, I think. It's good guidance to, to get this, but there's another piece to this because for those who don't have, I guess, the, the knowledge or at least understanding is, you know, we're, this is good information, but I'm about to go walk into my doctor's office to find out a piece of information that I've probably been delaying. That I'm gonna, this is going to scare the shit out of me. Oh, yes. And trust me when I tell you, and I'm sure my dad will support this, is that we need to tackle this now versus six months from now when you're laying on the OR table and they're about to crack your chest open wishing you would walk in that doctor's office in the first place. And at the other end, down by your feet, are your two daughters and your wife wondering how you could ever leave this life without them when you should have been proactive in the first place. So this goes back to the motivation for the podcast, but more importantly, to take back control of your life and and try to start doing those small things on a daily basis, going to talk to your doctor, telling them, this is why I'm here. I need your help in discovering my heart health and what I can do to be proactive and preventative to make sure that I can live a long time. I'll give you an example. One example is there's a, there's a protein that some people have in their system and it's called lipoprotein A and it's hereditary and it doesn't hurt. You never know you have it unless you test for it. And the reason you test for it is because those people that have that are the people that develop sudden death at age 35, 38, 41, and people say, gosh, he was in great shape. He exercised all the time. He ate really well. Yeah, you know, but he never had the genetic test to look for the LP little a. And that, that is actually a treatable condition. You can treat that. You can monitor that. And you can lower that risk. And therefore, that's a 36-year-old that's going to have a severe heart attack and die from it can prevent that from happening. Just from a simple blood test. It's so simple. Do you have that? No. So then I, do I have that? You have to be tested. I need to get tested. Okay. And it's, it's a There's sim- my first order of business. It's a, <laughs> it's a simple test. And there's several genetic tests that are now out there that you can get done and it's not that hard. And some insurance companies are starting to cover some genetic tests. So those are those things that we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, getting, getting curious about it. I mean, um, you know, it's something that um, was taken from a book that I read, you know, the process is going to be long and in parts very painful, but this is what we were in for. Nothing less, you know, he meant what he said. And this is more in the direction of, you know, God and Christianity, but like, you know, you got to have faith and, and kind of trust the process. It's yes, it's, 
It's an uncharted territory. There's a lot of information that you're that you're you're not going to have and be armed with going into that into that meeting or into that doctor's appointment. But that's the whole point is to starting that conversation with the physician. This is why I'm here. I asked my family over the Christmas holiday that we have a history of heart disease or you know some aunt or uncle whoever whoever had some condition. So you want to investigate this further. There may not be anything. And they, they may discover something else about you, but it's, it's having that hard conversation that you've been delaying for the last however long. Yeah, I think the big hurdle that people have difficulty getting over sometimes is not wanting to know. I just don't want to know. And that's, that's a major roadblock. They have to get over that hurdle and say, I need to know this so I can prevent certain things. Why would somebody not want to know? Some people just don't want to know. They just, they're afraid. They're afraid of what they might hear. You mean the truth? Yes. <laughs> yes. 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 No. Yes. Come on now. Um, okay. So it's having the hard conversation with your doctor and, or taking a proactive approach to setting up that meeting. You know, I know we've come down to the end of the year. People have exhausted their deductibles and they're probably set for the year with surgeries or whatever else. But this, this is something that needs to be on top of the list for this next year and how you're going to tackle 2021. I'm going to go meet with my family physician within the first 30 to 60 days of the new year, whenever you can get scheduled. And it's having, uh, what is, what am I looking for here? It's, it's having that one, that one item in mind that I need to discover more about my heart health and my family's heart health. I'm going to go get tested. My wife's going to go get tested. My kids are going to, whatever. We need to, we need to understand this. Um, you know, our, my uncle, your brother had a quadruple bypass, right? And from my understanding, his sons, my cousins are at a higher risk than say me or Sarah or Justin, because he may, I may not be explaining this correctly, but he has, because of that occurring, they're at a higher risk or he has more, um, they have more, uh, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? Like the, the factors or um, some of the genetic markers are more prevalent in them than, than us. I don't know. They may be, but, but the risk is there on both sides. Okay. Definitely the risk is there. So my order of business in the new year is going to my family physician and saying that I want to investigate my heart health and yes. getting tested for that. And, and most of these lab tests are covered by insurance. Most of them are covered by insurance. And LabCorp, Quest Diagnostics, they all do them. They all do them. And many of the genetic tests are, are covered by your insurance. And Medicare will also cover a lot of those. So there's, there's a little bit of cost there, but it's not as much as people think. And it's really not a roadblock to say, well, I can't do these because it's going to cost me $2,000 tomorrow. So I got to wait. No, you don't have to. I mean, it's $2,000 now versus the $25,000 later? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> or however much it's going to cost for, uh, you know, the quadruple bypass that you're going to have in six months. I don't know. Food and, for thought. And we just want to bring this to light, especially in this time of COVID-19, because all you hear about is... COVID, 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 COVID. Heart disease continues on. It continues on. And when it hits people, 
it hits them really hard and it hits them quick. So they, they need to be, they need to be aware of that. Go talk to your doctor, get your blood test done. Know where you are. COVID just exacerbates the underlying problems. <laughs> yes. It's not the direct cause. No. In more no. cases than not, it is not the direct cause of death. There are underlying conditions that are contributing to these deaths. Yes. And COVID can exacerbate heart disease. How so? It puts a strain on the heart. People have been shown that with COVID-19, they can develop what's called acute myocardial infarction or a major heart attack, just from the stress of the inflammatory response. So yeah, hmm. that's, that's a comorbidity that they talk about on the news and on television. You know, people with comorbidities, people that are, that are obese, people that have severe diabetes, people that have pre-existing heart and lung problems. Those are the comorbidities that cause people to have more issues with COVID-19 than those that don't have the comorbidities. So, something people need to know. So what do you do on a daily basis to monitor and watch your heart health? Uh, I'm on a medical regimen of medicines that I take from my physician every day. One's a statin, one's a medicine to keep your heart rate where it needs to be. Um, I also take supplements at the recommendation, including multivitamin, uh, CoQ10, um, vitamin E, those types of things. Uh, I try to watch my diet and my weight. I usually weigh twice a week. And the scale I have will also tell me my percent of body fat, so I record those. And then I monitor my blood pressure and my pulse, uh, probably two or three times a week. And the big factor is, is I write it down. Because if you don't write it down, you won't remember. So you've got to write those mm -hmm. things down whether you want to or not. So that's what I do. I try to exercise. Um, I don't go out and run five miles. I try to do moderate exercise. Some days, some days I get exercise done, some days I don't. But I, I try not to be super critical of that and say, okay, we're gonna to exercise tomorrow. We'll get it done tomorrow. So. I do all those things. And then I do a uh, routine follow-up with my, with my physician. You know, and he, he stays on top of it. Anytime we have lab done or any particular test, we've got a follow-up appointment. Now we do it by telemedicine. So we can do this all by video conference, uh, which is pretty convenient for everybody. Absolutely. Uh, so that's, that's, I have a scheduled regimen where I follow up with him and we constantly monitor certain blood tests, uh, certain functions, that kind of thing. Okay. So getting moving, being ex being uh, active. I think you hit on a big point there. Get moving. Get up and walk. You don't have to run a marathon. You, you don't have to run a hundred yard dash. Just get up and walk. It's that simple. Yeah. And I, I think it's, um, you know, there's a, a company that I follow and it's called Exos, and they, they've established themselves off of four pillars, and they, and they train guys and, and women for the next level, to getting ready for the professional level. And it's, it's these four pillars of mindset, nutrition, movement, and recovery. Mindset being the very first one, that you have to have the mindset to want to go play at this level, 
But in the con- in this context, is having the mindset that I want to go tackle this. I want to change my lifestyle. I'm sick of feeling this way. I'm sick of weighing this way. I'm sick of the knee pain that I have walking up and down the stairs that I can't do certain things because of my weight or whatever gets in my way. So if not now, then when? Right. It goes back to the other statistic with heart disease. Once in every 40 seconds, somebody has a heart attack in this country. You don't want to be in that 40 seconds. So then you say, so how can I stay out of that 40 second window? And that's what we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. So, so the mindset is wrapping, wrapping your mind around getting proactive and, and starting to move. And this is, this is just going off of my own experience and what I've tried to coach myself through is it's just a minimal amount of work uh, to even train myself to get up early in the morning. Um, 4.30 would make people gag. Like, I don't even get out of bed until 6.30. Uh, but if I get up at 4.30, um, I think every day for a year, I've given myself at least a month's worth of time in that year to accomplish something. So I get up, and it's mostly because I've trained the dog to wake me up at 4.30 or 5 o'clock and I go take them out and I go read or I go exercise. Most mornings it's I read and then I go exercise. And it's not long. It may be swimming because I'm training for an Ironman, but it's something. And it sets me on this right frequency for the day because I know when I don't do it, I feel like a sack of shit. That my, the, my day is off. Like I don't feel like I got a good jump on the day. So... I'm not saying that you need to go swim a thousand yards. I'm not saying that. I'm saying as soon as you walk out of bed at five o'clock in the morning when you really don't want to, as soon as you hit the floor, you do like five push-ups or whatever. Like that's going to get the blood moving and you're going to stay out of bed. That is that is the start to your day. I'm not saying everybody has to do that. <laughs> but that is the one way that I have trained myself to get a jump on my day. So building the mindset around tackling the health. So um, however that works for you, uh, it's finding those tools to, to do that and getting the mind ready to, to tackle the day, but also the mind ready to, to tackle your health. Uh, this is gonna be a long journey. It's, you're going to find out things that you've delayed wanting to find out about. Um, and some of this information is gonna be hurtful. It's gonna be the truth, but you need to know it, not only for yourself, but also for your family's sake. Very true. Yeah. So get moving. The importance of, you know, moving every single day. If it's 10 minutes, it's 15 minutes. You know, everybody's working from home right now. So I, I personally have to be creative on how I break up my day. So being in a sales environment, uh, which is very challenging to do this remotely, you know, I make sales calls or I do sales activity for an hour and then I go outside for 15 to 20 minutes or walk the dog so I can get some sun exposure, but it also gets me out of the house uh, and helps break up my day. And then through the middle of the day, I go work out or I go train in an Endure Lab locally here in Fort Worth. And then I continue the rest of my day. And then it leaves me the afternoon and the evening to spend time with my wife, spend time with our dog, go out to dinner or come see the family or whatever that is. Um, so, and one of the things that I picked up on, and I'm not saying this, there's any that this has contributed to weight loss or anything else like this. But um, 
a, it's a mixture of apple cider vinegar and lemon juice and water. It sounds disgusting. Yes. It really sounds disgusting. Um, but it, there's really something to it that's helped me kind of reduce my inflammation. I drink greens every morning. Their powdered greens also sounds disgusting. Um, a nice, you know, movement of the, the, the colonic system, if you will. Digestive system to start your day. I mean, that's a really good way to start your day, in my opinion. I think the key, I think the key here is finding what fits in your lifestyle. Sure. What can you put in your life that's going to work for you? And that's, um, that's an individual, individual decision. And I think it's going to be different in, in everybody, but becoming aware that you need to put something in your lifestyle to help prevent these things from affecting your life later on. I think that's the key. What you're doing right now isn't working. Exactly. And it's in putting something that is going to disrupt kind of that pattern of behavior. Yes. Right? Definitely. Okay. Definitely. Uh, what else did you want to talk about? I think that's the big factor here is just making people aware that they can actually help prevent heart disease. They can actually do things and they're not hard. They're easy to help keep them from having a heart attack or a stroke. Longevity, when we look at longevity and you ask people, what would you like to do? I like to live a long time. There's two aspects to longevity. One aspect is lifespan, the number of years you live. And the second aspect is health span. How healthy are you going to be in all those years you live? And I think a lot of people, many people or most people would enjoy a long and healthy life. So they have to do things to improve their lifespan and their health span to improve their longevity. So that's, that's, what we're, that's the message we're trying to get out to folks. Mm -hmm. is say, heighten your awareness a little bit, go do a little bit of research or evaluation with your family doctor, find out what your risk factors are, and then what can you do, what can I do to minimize those risk factors so this doesn't happen to me? Yeah, I like it. Well, that's, that's kind of the, uh, the plan that we've had for today. I have no idea how long we've gone, but I think we've actually probably doubled the amount of time that we had last time, almost. Um, but I've really liked the conversation. I've really liked going a little bit deeper in, into, uh, you know, heart disease, chronic disease. I mean, that's the number one, you know, cause of death in, in this country. Um, and it's, there's so much that can be done to, to kind of take back control of, of your lifestyle. Uh, and get back into the driver's seat on how you want to live, you know, the rest of your life. And it's knowing that information soon. Uh, and it's knowing uh, how you can best navigate, navigate that. So I think the other aspect is, okay, once we get into the system, you know, how, how do we go about um, setting up certain systems around accountability and maintaining the kind of these milestones? How do we keep track of our progress? Um, you know, there's wearables that provide you your heart rate and all these other things, but there's a lot of other more advanced technologies or more advanced um, systems that you need to be using outside of your wearable that provide you more accurate readings. I mean, Apple and Sunto and Fitbit and all these other wearables do a great job, but there's only so much that you could put into a watch. You actually need to go do a cardiopulmonary stress test. You need to be in that environment where the doctor can actually have you under this controlled environment to do these tests, right? Mm -hmm. And and 
100%, almost 100% of these tests are outpatient tests. You don't have to be in the hospital. You, I mean, you can do this on your time. I mean, it's, it's your own time. It's something that you can do. You can go to the lab, you can get these tests done, but then you follow those up with your family doctor. Mm. But these, these are not hard things. These are simple things. They're out there. They're readily available. Yeah. So take control. Get, take back control of, of your lifestyle, of your life. And I think in, in a short amount of time, you'll be very pleased with the work that you've done. Um, and then as you start to discover more about your health, I think it's also important to discover um, other ways to challenge yourself. Uh, as you get healthier, it's for me personally, it's identifying or, or finding a mission. You know, it's a training for an Ironman. To me, that's impo- something impossible to swim 2.4 miles to bike 115 miles and to run a marathon. That's 17, 15 to 17 hours of movement straight in one day. And for some people, they couldn't fathom doing 15 minutes. Um, I, I think if you have the body to do it and want to push the limits of your mind and your body, then you should do that. Uh, because I think there's a lot of benefits that come with that. Even the amount of lifetimes that you can live Somebody has said the amount of lifetimes you can live in, in running a long distance race or participating in a long distance race is incredible. Um, but that's just me. So it's, it's finding what that mission is. If that's giving in, in some form or fashion uh, and volunteering your time, that's another way too. Um, so to recap, we talked a lot about uh, you know, taking back control of, of your health and more importantly, understanding uh, the risk associated with heart disease, understanding um, your genetic history understanding, um, you know, what family members may have had certain episodes, right? Yeah. And, and how to have that hard conversation with your family medicine physician, uh, family practice physician saying, I want to know more about this. What do I need to do to do that? And what's, what's the next six months going to look like for me? And kind of get a good idea what that plan is going to be. Uh, one of the books that he mentioned is uh, written by Dr. Bale. Uh, Bradley Bale called Beat the Heart Attack Gene. Uh, if you Google it, it's a white cover with red lettering on the front. Uh, I plugged my gym, Endurlab, here. So if you're here locally in Fort Worth and wants to do some endurance training, go check them out. Um, there's all sorts of information out there on the web that you can Google. But I, I want to caution you that it's just information uh, to go actually speak with your physician. These people are, are trained and have spent a lot of their time dedicating to understanding the human body. Um, and Google is not your friend. Google is not your friend. I'm sorry uh, to anybody in our family that thinks that Google MD is, is the best way to get your education. It's not. Go speak with a doctor, for God's sakes. That's my two cents. I'm off my soapbox for there for a second. So Thank you all for, uh, for listening this time. Uh, if you want to email us any questions or topics, it's yourhealthpodcast at gmail.com. Yourhealthpodcast at gmail.com. My name is Chris. That's my dad, Dr. Bass. And we'll uh, check you guys out on the next episode. Take care.